Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. In fact, as one of our listeners recently indicated, also the podcast that is always on the mark. Thank you to Wallace in Austin for that. My friend, it is a long weekend. I know, my friend, you have been grinding this year. You have been putting in the hours, both at your main job, your side gigs, the family. Are you going to get some rest this weekend? What are your plans? Oh, yeah. This weekend, I'm just going to kick back and relax. Like you said, it's been crazy busy the last couple of months. I mean, it's Easter weekend. Happy Easter to everybody in advance who's celebrating. Happy Vasaki to all my Sikh friends out there. We were celebrating today at the office, so I am full of all wonderful Indian foods, and it's been a great day. Now we get to sit down and talk Formula One, so I can't think of the perfect uh, nightcap. Well, you know, besides the fact that I can sit down and edit all this uh, audio afterwards, but for the rest, it's been it's been a pretty awesome day. But how have you been, I've my been, friend? I've been great, and it's not that you have one podcast to edit tonight. You have two, because earlier this week, we've recorded yes. an interview with Tyler Senarusa, who is the owner, the founder, the mastermind behind Sensport Graphics, the company that produces a lot of the Formula One helmets, a lot of the IndyCar helmets that you see in those championships. So that was a great conversation. And because there isn't a Grand Prix this weekend, we'll be, I think we're planning to drop that podcast Sunday. So most people would have it ready to go in their stream Monday morning. That's right. Yeah, and that should be good. And we've got a couple of other exciting ones lined up. We still have an upcoming interview with Lily Herman of Engine Failure, amongst many other pieces. And as we teased a couple of days ago on the Twitter feed, we have an upcoming interview with Megan. I, I almost said it. We have an upcoming interview with a W Series driver, a W Series driver who has, in fact, won a W Series race. But I don't mean to give it away. So I'm going to keep teasing that one. But that one should come out in a couple of of weeks. All of that said, you know, it's been a relatively quiet news week in the world of Formula One, but we still have some really great stories to get to today. Oh, totally. And I should say for everybody that's uh, listening right now, totally check out uh, Mark's conversation with uh, with Tyler. I, I've already had a sneak preview. I've listened to it. It was really, really cool. Well done. And I'm sure everybody will enjoy that. And I was, you know, not to give too much uh, away, but I can't believe that was Tyler's first ever interview. I completely agree. Uh, I was really kind of shocked about that. My, my mind is blown. Would you look at his work? And, uh, you know, go to his website. I mean, his helmet art is just mind-blowingly awesome. I mean, he is a very, very talented artist. My, my favorite takeaway from the interview, and I obviously, this would never even cross my mind, but when he was painting the helmet or preparing to paint a helmet for one of the current Formula One drivers, one of the requirements was you can't use more than 40 grams of paint in clear coat on the helmet because if it's any greater than that, the weight <laughs> multiplies in a high G-force corner and multiplies exponentially wow. and it causes serious harm to the driver's neck and muscles. So they have strict tolerance is even with the amount of paint that they can use to execute the vision of the driver or or the rider, which I thought was fascinating. Again, giving away too much, but definitely check that out next week. 
Yeah, there were some mind-blowing things that came out of that conversation, especially like that 40 grams of paint. I mean, that's not that's not a lot to work no. with, yet he can still do this amazing work. Okay, well, why don't we get into what we have lined up for, for some of the news stories uh, tonight? And it's been a sort of kind of busy, but not too, too busy week in the world of Formula One news. So it's expected that Formula One is going to return to South Africa, to Kailami, uh, to have a Grand Prix there. They haven't raced there in almost 30 years, not since 1993. So it's uh, really kind of uh, crazy to think that it's uh, been that long. I mean, I don't even remember that race. I mean, obviously, it's going back a long time. But still, I mean, we've seen uh, some other historic uh, tracks come back onto the uh, the, the, the calendar, uh, Sanford being one. Great call. Back to, to Holland last year for the first time since 1984. Imola is back. I mean, we're going to be there next week uh, for for what is it now the third year? Because yeah, they they came in the first year of COVID yeah, this will be and then year last three. year. Yeah, year three, and uh, that, that's been a fun one. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not there's uh, any fire associated with this uh, smoke, but uh, certainly uh, fun uh, to see. Anyways, uh, Stefano Domenicali, the F1 CEO, said uh, he has he has a real desire to add a Grand Prix on the Af- African continent. When you think about it, I mean, there is a pretty glaring omission. Absolutely. The population yeah, in Africa, absolutely. the size of the continents that they're, you know, it, you know when, when you look at all the pins on the, on the global map, that there is obviously a big gap there. And Domenicali had to say, quote, on top of America, on top of China, I think there is a potential also to be in Africa soon. There's a lot of interest there. For sure, that's another area that is so far missing in the geography of our calendar, end quote. Anything you want to add to this one? Uh, one I'm, I'm actually very excited about the potential return to Kailami. And I, I, to be honest, didn't know a lot about the current state of the track. And I did a little bit of half-assed mm-hmm. internet research today. It turns out it was purchased in the last <laughs> in the last recent history. It was significantly overhauled, new grandstands, new garages. It is not FIA grade one. It is FIA grade two, but it sounds like with some fairly, fairly easy investment, they could get it to FIA grade two. And it's understood that most of the changes that would need to be made would simply be um, additional runoff area for the safety of the drivers, as well as tech pro barriers as opposed to some of the more concrete and steel barriers that they have there today took a look at some some sim some simulations of cars on track it looks like a fantastic track even though it's almost five kilometers it's reasonably compact there's tons of elevation it's very 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 fun i'm excited and for those of you that don't know and you alluded to it we haven't been there in almost 30 years the last time we were there was 1993 alan prost won for williams the year before nigel mansell won for williams but prior to that there was a seven-year gap because if you go back to 1985, the 1985 South African Grand Prix was fraught with controversy because the global community was outraged at the fact that South Africa was imposing this horrible, lawful, state-inflicted form of segregation on almost half the population or more than half the population. And at that point, the global community effectively had enough and they started boycotting sporting events with the South African teams. And in 1985, there was a great amount of controversy about whether this Grand Prix should ever go ahead. And Bernie Exelston, being Bernie, insisted it go went ahead. But a number of teams, including two of the French teams, didn't participate because their own governments prohibited them from going. But it's an entirely new track. Um, I think the continent, as you described, should absolutely be hosting a Grand Prix. And if they can make this work financially, I would love to see it. And if you haven't, go and check out some of the track sims and some of the track footage 
page on YouTube because it looks like a really cool track. It looks like it's a lot of fun and it's in a beautifully scenic area. So I'm very, very excited about this, but it just goes back to what you and I were talking about over the last few weeks, which is we keep adding tracks, right? Like China's coming back next year. We're going back to Shanghai. We're adding Las Vegas next year. We've got Singapore coming back online this year, Australia back online, Canada back online, possibly now Kailami. How are they going to fit when we are constrained to 24 races because of the Concord agreement? It's possibly, <laughs> and you are a bigger advocate. And I know that, uh, Tim Haraney is a bigger advocate of this is taking certain less profitable events and making them alternate. So maybe they're only on the calendar every second or every third year. And then you'll have kind of core richer events that are maybe on the calendar every single year, but it'll be interesting to see, but I would be very excited to me. This track reminds me of a combination of Mugello and Portugal. It looks, it looks cool. Mm. You know, it's funny you should say that because when we were saying that there's tons of like um, elevation change, I was just that, that was Porto Mal was the first one that sort right. of popped into my mind. I know that we're we're not there this year, but the past two years, and I know it's maybe not a hundred percent suited to modern Formula One cars, but I couldn't help find myself enjoying it. I thought it was uh, from a spectator's point of view, it was a fun track to I watch because you have some fairly tight, compact tracks or sorry, tracks corners, a lot of elevation change, some dips and some rolling hills. I thought it worked. Uh, really, really well. Uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, did have a, a couple of things to say about uh, potential to go back to, to South Africa. This is a quote, and it, you know, it, it reads a little bit funny. It, it sounds almost a little bit flippant, and I don't think uh, Lewis is that way in, in any stretch of the imagination. So just you know, take it with a pinch of salt. Uh, I don't want to sort of quote him out of context, but he, he does have a good take on it. Anyways, Lewis had to say, "Quote: The one I really want to see is uh, South Africa. That's the one I want to hear announced next. We're pretty much on." Every Every other continent so why not ultimately my ancestors are from there so that's why it's important for me personally i think it's important for the sport to go there if we're there in every other continent why not end quote i mean he basically said the same thing we did in that in that last sentence we're, we're there everywhere else why not so hopefully they can uh, pull something together so it, it, it's funny over the last couple of years whenever you've seen one of these sorts of stories kind of like pop up into the news feed it's well i mean apart maybe from the whole vw group saga that kind of you know, talk about a slow burn totally. that's like you know you know open up the dictionary or you know people still use traditional paper dictionaries anyways look up the dictionary or the the definition of slow burn it'll have like a picture of like the the vw group anyways uh, i was just going to say that whenever you see one of these stories pop up in the news feed it seems sooner rather than later that there is some sort of an announcement uh, regarding uh, grand prix so we're going to sort of kick it up into to Homer mode here. Well, maybe not, but we're going to talk about Nicholas Latifi. The Williams driver admits that he's had a real difficult start to his season this year. And well, he totally has. I mean, uh, you know, you got to give props to his teammate, Alex Albon, that uh, the whole, what was it, tire whisperer joke that's kind of been going yep, on the yep. last couple of days. I mean, some brilliant tactics uh, for him to score a point last weekend in Australia, but Nicky's season really has gotten off to a really, really difficult start. So why don't you take it away? So first of all, you know me far too well when you preface this story by saying we're going into Homer mode. This story may or may not have been inserted <laughs> into the agenda because it's a Canadian driver in Nicholas Latifi. Early in the agenda. Yeah, I right add. at the top. Oh my gosh. I think my concern for Nikki is... I, I feel like racing, and, and I've competed at some very, very, very amateur levels, is incredible. It's very physical, it's very technical, but it's also incredibly mental. And if you are not 
absolutely dialed in and brimming with confidence, the likelihood that you're going to make a mistake is amplified exponentially. And I just, I worry for Nikki that after the outcome at Abu Dhabi, the duel crashes in Jeddah. And now of course the incident with Lance, even though that was not his fault by any means, I just, I worry about the mental space that he's in. And I hope that with this two week break, he can find a little bit of space and come back dialed in, Mm -hmm. but it should also be fairly inspirational for him to see what Alex Albon has been able to do with that car, because obviously they brought Albon in because they wanted to have a, a benchmark or they wanted somebody that had some formula one experience. But so far, Alex has been just crushing just crushing Latifi and practice and qualifying. And again, Latifi had some bad luck in winter testing and he missed a big chunk and he didn't get to put in the same amount of laps, but he's getting crushed by Alex and he's got to start cutting down that Delta immediately if he has any hopes of keeping the seat for 2023 and beyond. And of course, we like him because he's a great guy. He's a Canadian kid. You couldn't ask for a nicer person on the grid, but he's got to start dialing it back in. And if there was anything that you could say about him the last couple of years, it was that he was pretty consistent and he's not a guy that was prone to crashing. Mm-hmm. And of course, that seems to be the burden that he bears now because of some instance in recent Grand Prix. But mentally, I'm really worried about him. But I feel good knowing that Due to Albon's exceptional performance at that last Grand Prix, he's shown that maybe there is, in fact, some pace in that car when it's paired with the right compound. So for for Nikki's sake, for Formula One fans across Canada, hopefully he's going to be able to dial it in, cut that deficit to to Albon and start putting in some racy performances. And definitely. And I just want to read a quote at, uh, off the uh, the official Formula One website in which uh, Nikki said, quote, it was great to see Alex finish in P10 in the end, which I also saw kind of saw at the end looking at the TV after the checkered flag and saw that he was there. So super happy for the team because it's been a real difficult start to the season. But on my side, there's purely still quite a bit to find. We were just struggling to find the balance and the pace. I think if Alex is ex- able to extract that performance out of it, then there is no reason why me and the other cars shouldn't be able to. So it definitely brings confidence. And yeah, for sure, going to have a nice time looking through the data, trying to understand how he was able to make it work, end quote. And, you know, let's not forget, Nicky's already been in Formula One for a couple of years. His contract is up at the end of the year. And I don't want to suggest that maybe Williams might think about pulling the plug. But when you look at Alex Albon, which was a complete shock signing last year when he announced them, I I don't think that Williams would be too afraid to make a splash when it comes to making a change to their driver lineup. I think that they just, I, I think they're in a position now with the, 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 you know, the regime, the management structure that they have now that they're going to do whatever they think is best for their team. And I think that, uh, that Alex Albon was just the first indication of that you're, yeah, well, I completely agree. And I think that, This is the end of the pay driver era, meaning that four or five years ago, if you're a team like Sauber or if you're a team like Force India, you may have a budget of 150 or 200 million dollars versus the three, five, seven, eight hundred million dollars that Red Bull and Ferrari and Mercedes were spending. So if you had somebody that could come to your team and maybe they weren't your top choice as a driver from a performance perspective, but they brought 40 or 50 million dollars of funding and sponsorship, you're going to sign those drivers. But the reality now is because there's that 135, $140 million cost cap, the pay driver doesn't bring you any value because you don't need that money to compete with the other teams. Like maybe it's good for your bottom line, but ultimately now what's more valuable is having a driver that's more likely to score you points. So we're at the end of that pay driver era. And I think 100%, I think 
this team has absolutely flexed their independence, like you said, with the Alex Albon piece. And I would be very surprised if they weren't shopping for uh, a different driver. And again, Nicky still has 20 races. This season is a marathon and there's plenty of opportunity for him yep. to to improve his, his craft. But uh, I think this team is uh, eager to to show improvement and Doralton Capital, their new owners, are are eager to make an impact in the championship. You made such a great point there that uh, that teams probably now want to sign drivers that are going to deliver them points and maybe get that money in the form yes. of prize money through yes. the, the constructors championship. Rather, yeah, that that, that was the perfect uh, you know the perfect way to, to to bring it up. And you know, I I really loved the boldness that they that they did or that you know, that stand that they took to sign Alex Albon because it just seemed like it was going to be. And I don't want to throw any shade at, at Nick DeFries. I think Nick is a great driver i mean he's proven it in in other levels of, uh, of motorsport and it but it just seemed like it was almost a foregone conclusion he's a mercedes driver williams is a mercedes customer team and he's basically going to be dropped in there like we've seen other teams not not just mercedes but <clears throat> excuse me any other team that's had like a customer team sort of drop their prospects in there so they can get time in seats times in races and and, and things like that and completely out of the blue well, I mean, I know there was a little bit of smoke around that fire regard, regarding Alex Albon, but until that was made official, I was, yeah, I guess maybe I was a little doubtful that it would happen, but I, I loved it. And I hope this is going to be maybe a sign of the times, but I guess you could make that argument too. What with the whole Haas situation and and, and, and Mazepin getting dumped and then K-Mag uh, coming back on a multi-year deal that perhaps, like you say, like the, the driver that comes with the big you know, sacks of money with dollar signs scribbled on the front doesn't necessarily mean as much as it did oh, man. a year ago or two years dog. ago. Dog, can I call you dog? Sorry. A little, I, 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 I'm a little call- bit relaxed tonight <laughs> sure. on this Thursday night. I was shocked that they signed Alex Albon. Like you said, there was smoke. I'm like, they will, they just do not have the nerve. They are not that independent. And when it happened, it shocked me. And I loved all the reporting that came out at that point, especially around Toto, because of course, Toto, of course, leading Mercedes, which is the company that feeds them their power units, had taken it as a foregone conclusion that they were going to sign a Mercedes driver. And when they did it, I, I love the stories about Toto pleading and begging and eagerly trying mm. to get a hold of Yost Capito to try to understand why that was happening. Because not only did they not sign the Mercedes driver, they signed a rival away from Mercedes's chief rival in Red Bull, which made it all the more spicy. So that was fantastic. I love it. And I want to see I want to see more of it because I absolutely despise B teams in Formula One. It, it infuriates me that Red Bull is allowed to own a B team on the grid that is clearly nothing more than an immediate filter or, or sister team. I hate the fact that Haas is dependent on Ferrari for parts and funding in the way that they are. It infuriates me that Mercedes has, or Williams has basically been at the the beck and call of Mercedes for the last seven years. I hate that because the grid is so small already. It just helps perpetuate this lack of competitive balance and the fact that you're only going to have three teams because they're feeding power units to these other teams on the grid and they're dictating who their drivers are. And it just doesn't make for a truly 10 deep championship. So I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Well, that, that's why I loved it because I mean, obviously, I mean, I've said it on the show before. I mean, Williams is a team that I have a soft spot because I cheered for them and their, and their drivers when I was growing up in the '80s and the '90s. I mean, they 100%. were an awesome team. They had such awesome drivers at that time, 
and just to to watch. I mean, the the last guy that won a race for them was Crash Tor Maldonado, way back. Was Repeat that. Sorry, who who was that? Crash Tor Maldonado. Well done, well done. Not not Pastor Crash Tor. Those of you who are around 10, 10 years ago get the joke. Those of you who don't understand the joke about Crash Tor Maldonado, go look up his highlight reel. I'm sure there's a blooper reel somewhere on uh, YouTube. But anyways, I, I just loved it when um, you, you could almost see Yasuka Pitagoya mic drop when that uh, that signing was announced. Because it really asserted that, you know, we're not just here to make up the numbers. Yeah, we might not be a competitive team right now, but we're going to try and change that. I mean, ultimately, you know, they got to prove it by doing it on the track. It was a great, it was uh, a real courageous and bold move. The strategy that they ran with Alex Albon in, in, in Australia last week, and it paid off with a point. And we might be sort of like saying, oh yeah, it's only one point, but this is a team that has struggled to score a point or two or three over the course of an entire season over the past couple of years. And I think that is just a huge, huge morale booster for them. First of all, sir, you should unmute yourself oh, because I can see you talking. <laughs> all right. And, and then you can I'm have your a pro. <laughs> I know what I'm doing here. I was going to say, when I put together the agenda for tonight's show, I thought it was a little bit light, but we're two yep. topics in and 20 minutes deep. So we should probably take a break before I ramble on with the next topic. Yeah, perfect. Let's take a quick break to, to have a quick word from our sponsors and we'll come back and we'll flip it back to talk about... Max's turtle comment about the safety car in Australia last weekend. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One. You're listening to Mark Squared. And yes, we are going to talk about Max's criticism about the turtle safety car last week at the Australian Grand Prix. I guess it, it's kind of got a dual meeting, or meaning, pardon me, because the safety car is an Aston Martin, which is British Racing Green. It was slow like a turtle and the same color as a turtle. Anyways, uh, Max had to say uh, afterwards, quote, unbelievable with that car to drive 140 kilometers on the back straight where there was not a damaged car anymore i don't understand why we have to drive so slur 
pardon me, we have to drive so slowly. We have to investigate for sure the Mercedes safety car is faster because of the extra aero. The Aston Martin is really slow. It definitely needs more grip because our tires were stone cold, end quote. So afterwards, the uh, the FAI have uh, responded and defended, uh, you know, you know, using because they they have like a rotation between the Aston Martin, which is a safety car sometimes, and then the usual uh, Mercedes, which has been the safety car for what twenty twenty five years now, and in various different uh, models. Anyways. They said uh, that the safety of everybody uh, on the track is the the priority rather than the speed of the car as the uh, as a whole. And uh, they said, uh, furthermore, to that point, it is race control that dictates the speed of the safety car. Anyways, I mean, I'm sure an Aston Martin can hit more than 140 kilometers, uh, especially on a racetrack in closed conditions. Absolutely. I thought the story was cute and funny, and then I felt a little bit bad for Aston because you look at their Formula One adventures this year, which is crash after crash after mm. crash, and the absolute horrendous luck they've had. And then you have the the reigning champion slandering on their otherwise gorgeous, gorgeous safety car. That car, that is pinup material. Print that out and hang it on my wall. That car is beautiful, and I love the cutler. It just pops. Agreed. But for the, the, the rating champion to slander your car, which is also, by the way, their flagship road car model, to slander it as a turtle must have caused some serious, hopefully temporary damage to the valuation <laughs> of their company. Uh, but I, aside from that, like you said, ultimately, it's not the driver of the safety car that dictates the pace. It's race control and no safety car. No safety car will ever go the speed necessary to satisfy the drivers because like you said they want to keep the heat in the tires at 140 170 180 kilometers around a track that's never going to happen they're not going to be satisfied and we have heard lewis constantly and i say lewis because he gets a lot of the radio time on the broadcast but lewis criticizing the speed of safety cars has been just a common element of every broadcast for the last seven or eight years even when they were mercedes so you know it's a cute story it's fun and we can move on yeah, you know who else echoes your uh, sentiments or your your recollection? There's Michelle G in the live chat, and she said, "When do they not complain yes. about the safety car speed? <laughs> I mean, it's constant, and it, it's almost a little bit unfair to kind of like point out Lewis, but just Lewis being the prominent guy that he is, and the fact that he is seven time world champion, he does get the lion's share of the uh, you know the the airtime when it comes to the radio. I mean, maybe not so much uh, this year, but I mean historically, he's had a disproportionate uh, amount of time in the the the, the race." radio and the broadcast maybe so maybe they always makes it sound like and they cherry pick oh of course too, and of course they're not always live either they cherry pick them and place them at convenient moments yep. maybe the only other thing i would add as well and this is it's not it's related but not related the other thing that the drivers are learning to adjust to this year is in the pits they can't turn up the tire blankets to the temperatures they were able to turn them up to in previous seasons so in the past the hot tires were scorching hot when they went on the car and the drivers could get up to optimum operating temp or oper- they could get into the optimum it's very difficult to say this they could get into the optimum operating zone much more quickly now they're going out with much mm-hmm. colder tires so they actually have to work those tires for a couple of laps to get them up to speed so incidentally what we saw last year in the finale in abu dhabi when max came in to for fresh tires and went out with scorching hot ready to go tires it might be a different outcome this year if the same circumstances were to play out because while he's coming in for fresh tires, they're not going to be in the optimum operating zone like they would have been last year because the tire blankets aren't as hot. You know, I, I don't actually hate the idea of like, um, you know, turning down the temperatures. You on need the, to convince the, the me on this blankets one. Or, 
or or getting rid of them because in this day and age, okay, sure they've taken away a lot of driver aids and things that they had in the past, you know, like traction control, active suspension, etc. Right? I mean, they still have a lot of things that they can do in the car, and I I, I like I. I I didn't like it at first when they weren't allowed to coach them over the radio, but I've come to really like that. These drivers are supposed to be the best in the world, right? So give them, you know, I, I mean, there's there's got to be technology in Formula One. It is the peak of um, or the pinnacle of motorsports on the planet, right? So it, there's got to be that, that level of technology in the cars to begin with. But I would like to see the drivers have to work for it as well. I mean, it, it's, it's not just about the car. It's the combination of driver, their talent of being the best, you know, the, you know, supposedly the best 20 drivers on the planet, driving the best cars on the planet. So if you, th- you take away the things like the tire warmers and they have to take that time to warm those tires up and make them manage the tires. I mean, again, I, I know I've already, you know, thrown, shown love to uh, Alex Albon twice. Now this is thrice. The trilogy. I'm showing the, yeah, the trilogy there. It'll probably happen again to Alex Albon for the great job he did managing those tires last week in, in Australia. I'd love to hear stories like that. And it, it shouldn't be undoable for guys like Charles Leclerc and Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. They're supposedly like the, the, the best of the best of the best, right? So it, it adds another element of uh, unpredictability into the racing. And personally, I like it. You may have convinced me, actually. So I'm a big fan (laughs) of every technological aid and advancement possible in F1. I I just, I want to see it all. But you're right in the sense that tire blankets are a huge, huge driver aid. And without them, or with a tire blanket that's operating at a lower temperature, when that driver gets back on track, they need to do significant work for the next succession of laps to get those tires into an operating temperature zone where they can really start pushing that car. Yeah, that's an interesting Mm -hmm. point. You may have convinced me. Now, the only flip side to this is if it's a potential safety risk that if you're putting these drivers out on cold tires and there's a potential safety hazard or safety risk associated with doing so, then maybe you need to talk a little bit more about keeping them. But obviously the FIA, Mm -hmm. Liberty and the teams have agreed to reducing the effectiveness of them. So maybe they found a a balance here, but I would hate to see them go. But at the same time, you're absolutely right that if we want to see more of the drivers driving the cars and exhibiting racecraft, Taking away the blunt t- or the tire warmers forces them to do that. It's one more skill they need to develop and exhibit every race. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, I wouldn't want to see it uh, completely removed if it becomes like a, a safety issue. But if, like you say, they found like that happy medium to turning it down the heat that those uh, blankets can put into those tires to warm them up and preheat them before they go onto the car onto the track, and the drivers have to to work a little bit harder. I think that's a great trade off, and it just goes to show that, the, or it gives the opportunities these drivers to showcase their talents, right? And I, I know it's not easy, but then again, isn't the point of Formula One? Not to be easy. I mean, uh, I'm kind of quoting or using the same sentiment of Bernie Ecclestone as probably the last person I want to be in agreement with. But um, you know, that's kind of the point of Formula One. If it's if it's too easy, then what what's the point? You know, you, you got to be good to be there. Anyways, let's uh, move on to the next one. And this is a story we touched on, I guess, within the last couple of weeks. Um, I guess it was maybe two weeks ago. We talked about a bunch of the circuits that are coming up to the end of their contracts uh, at the end of this year and just where 
most of the tracks are in the in the in the i guess the lifespan or where they sit in the term of their contracts with formula one and monaco like i said it's up at the end of this year but the organizers uh, said that they believe that it will retain a spot on the the formula one calendar beyond this year and you know it's it's having a race in their own backyard. How many of those drivers live in Formula One? It's become almost synonymous with them. I mean, they made that movie in the 60s Grand Prix at Monaco using the drivers and the cars of the time. It's, you know, Formula One and Monaco, the glitz and the glamour kind of go together. It's not the greatest track. It doesn't really demonstrate. I mean, some of the, you know, I guess I shouldn't say it doesn't demonstrate what the cars are capable of when you see these guys flying around literally millimeters away from the barrier. So it's it's technically a very demanding track, but it can be quite boring at times. I mean, we, we've heard the, the drivers really lash out in recent years that, you know, there, there's no opportunity to pass. And I think it was even Fernando and Lewis we're saying what was it, in 2017 or thereabouts that it was just the, the most boring race that they'd ever been in you know so anyways points you know my point is i just struggled to see a formula one that would walk away and I, I just can't see a formula one that doesn't have a monaco grand prix in it as a fan either love it or hate it i think it's going to be there for the long term yeah i just can't see it going I I agree with you. I just I think Formula One maybe for the first time it's in its history because of course Monaco has been around since 1950. I think maybe for the first time in its history Formula One could survive without Monaco on the calendar. And I think 10 years ago I, I would probably be dragged out in the street um, and beat up for making a comment like that. That that would be so controversial because it was so important to to the championship when you had 16 or 17 Grand Prix and, and Monaco was a staple. You're right. The cars have outgrown the track. They outgrew the track many, many, many years ago. I don't think it's going anywhere, but I do think it's interesting that right now, like you just alluded to, the Monaco race organizers are negotiating with Liberty for a new three, four, five-year contract. Well, that's interesting because prior to Liberty taking over the sport, Monaco paid nothing to host a Grand Prix. Mm. They got it for free. That's how important it was to the calendar. And not only did they get the race for free, they also had the ability to execute the TV broadcast. So they actually used their own crews, their own cameras. They cut it. The race direction was all there. So they had total creative control over the, over the event. I, I only hope now that if Monaco is paying for this event and they've got to be able to turn a profit like every other Grand Prix, hopefully they'll continue to invest in the track. Now, all of that said, I agree. I don't necessarily get excited to see this one because it can be a bit of a procession unless there's a string of safety cars and crashes that make the race a little bit more unpredictable. We've seen some fun races there and qualifying is always exciting and it's exciting because it often dictates yep. the outcome of, of the, of the championship itself. But I would be okay if it was gone, but like you said, I don't think it's going anywhere. I just think that for the first time, Liberty has an awful lot of leverage given how many places are chomping at the bit to host a Grand Prix, and they can now squeeze the race organizers in Monaco uh, to get as much money mm-hmm. out of them as possible to continue to continue this championship. Now, all of that said, I'll quickly add this. I was reading a, a Reddit thread about this earlier today, and I was really down on the Monaco Grand Prix, and I read a couple of comments from people that had actually been fortunate enough to attend it and they said yeah you know i get it the 
the race isn't great, but when you when you head into the city on the train and you step out of the train and you walk through the tight, narrow corridors, and then the track opens up in front of you and you can hear the howl of the cars bouncing off of the canyons and the buildings and the tunnels there. It's a sensation and this experience like nothing else on earth. I just... It's not something that you and I will ever be able to experience and it doesn't necessarily translate well onto TV. So it's not going anywhere, like you said. Oh man, you know, when you just mentioned like the howl of the engine on the streets and everything, like I, I just checked my Apple watch here, my my heart rate just went up by about 20 <laughs> BPM. So <laughs> yeah, you know what, where, where my motivation is. But, you know, I, I kind of, I wouldn't say a love-hate relationship with it. I, I mean, I'm not that down on the circuit. You know, I, I do enjoy it, but it's it's just... When I look at the other tracks on the circuit, or pardon me, the other tracks on the uh, on the calendar, there's others that I would pick ahead of it that I enjoy, and uh, you know I look forward to each and every year. And there's a couple Monaco among them. Hungary is another one that you just know you're not going to see a lot of overtaking. I mean, remember back uh, about three, four, or five years ago, whatever it was, um, was it Vettel who won in Hungary? He had that issue with the power steering. He just managed to keep himself in front of Kimi Raikkonen, who basically ran you know, interference for himself and the two Mercedes cars behind him. And I think by the time that Lewis and Bottas got past uh, Kimi, they couldn't do anything for, you know, to, to catch up and, and pass Seb. I think it was unless I've completely gone into some bizarro uh, universe. But that, that's another one of those tracks. And, you know, funnily enough, the Hungaro Ring, when they designed that track way back in the, 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 the 80s, was supposed to be a, a little bit... Um, what do you want to call it? Um, it, it, it well, not a little bit. It, it w- was modeled after Monaco. So when it came to you know the, the the layout of the track, obviously it's not as compact as it is in Monte Carlo, but they certainly nailed it when it came to the lack of passing <laughs> opportunities. Because I mean, in, in Hungary, where do you really see opportunities to pass? It uh, really is at the end of uh, the, the first uh, straightaway into turn one. And then going into, I guess, turn three, I guess it is, turn three and four, when you go into those uh, series of uh, left-handers. Um, anyways, where did Mark, for the second week in a row, has seemed to have uh, disappeared uh, on me. Here he is. He's come back again. Here we go. My, my friend, uh, that's two weeks in a row that you've dropped off on the, uh, the the connection here. All good. We kept it going. You know, I, I only said a couple of negative things about you, but uh, it's all good. I was Don't just, uh, fuel in, in the live there. chat. Don't fuel the chat. Don't get everybody going on the anti-Mark. I just say, wait, that would be both of us, but the the excited Mark, the anti-Mark H feed. So yeah, and I apologize. That. Don't worry. I'm an incredibly proud Apple user, but I've been having some system issues with my Apple recently that <laughs> creates reboots. In this case, I was able to recover it quickly, but yeah, I apologize for that. All good, all good. Anyways, why don't we go on to the next story here? Um, and where did I put my notes? Oh, I, I know what I wanted to talk about um, the, because this is kind of an interesting one. I wanted to get your take on this one because we'll go into the last uh, couple of stories after we have the next break and four or five minutes, whenever it is. But I want to get your take on this. And I was thinking specifically when it comes to the race, um, like I, I thought specifically when you were talking about Monaco and how they're able to use their own TV crews, do their own production and stuff like that. I can't help but start getting a little bit irritated, especially last weekend in Australia. And it's not just Australia. I mean, there's been other examples this year and at other times. When I hate the fact when you have on, on the cars, you have these forward and backward looking car cameras. 
And then I hate, and, and I, I don't mind when they go from in-car to the trackside cameras when it comes to overtakes. I just wish that when it comes to overtaking that they would stick to the, the trackside cameras. I can't remember which, uh, which overtake it was last weekend, but they tried to get really cute with the production, have the rear-facing camera, and right. then go to the front-facing camera, and then switch to the other car. And they completely buggered it up, and they missed the whole overtake. And then 15 seconds later, they're trying to go to the, uh, you know, they're, they're showing the replay of the trackside camera. Camera. You know, I get it. If you could pull it off, it's really cool. But I just want to see, is Lewis making that overtake stick? Is Charles able to keep Max behind him or whatever the case may be? I, I just think that, okay, yeah, it's cool if you can pull it off, but just go with the safe option. So everybody watching that isn't in the car or right at that part of the track can see what's happening and see whether or not the driver can pull the move off or not. If you're in Canada and you're watching the broadcast on TSN, does it matter? Because there's probably a commercial taking up two thirds of the screen anyways. <laughs> oh, there goes any oh, chance know. of us ever getting to work with bell bell media okay yeah, there, there you go <laughs> yeah i know it always seems uh, quite uh you know convenient whenever the the uh the, the commercials come up during the pit stops and things for like those that. of you watching in the u.s yeah. on espn enjoy your ad-free broadcast while you can or you'll be quickly quickly subscribing to f1 tv pro well, that was something I had to get used to after I was living in Europe and I came back to, you know, came back home, started living in Canada again was right. when, when, when I was living in Holland, I don't know what, uh, what channel it's broadcast on now, but back in the day, it was an RTL television and it was great because you just had, you know, from, from green light to checkered flag, you didn't have any interruptions. It was just all racing all the time. And I loved it. And then coming back and the, oh, over the years, we've seen, um, Formula One on different platforms, different um, uh, networks in in North America. I mean, Speed Channel did it for a while. They did a great job. And then TSN's had the rights for, for a while. But it's always the, the commercials. But I guess, in, in, in a sense, we've always been used to commercials in in North America. Yeah. It's just when it comes to other sports, like it, baseball, basketball, the football especially works very well with television just because... You you know you're playing from scrimmage. The ball is snapped five or ten seconds later. The play is over, and then it's just easy because you have these natural pauses in play. I mean, hockey and basketball are pretty you know intense sports, so they kind of have to schedule it in when there's stoppages in play. But still, those stoppages occur. The thing with motor racing is, unless there's a red flag, nothing. There, there's no natural pause in the race, so you have to do something and it it just seems and that was always my biggest complaint is how come the commercials always right, come during right. the pit stops or is it just uh, you know coincidence or are they just that good anyways we're not that good so that's why we don't do this for a living and because we don't have to we don't do this for a living we have to pay some bills so we're going to take a quick break and when we come back on the flip side we're going to talk about some other things which i'm not sure of because i lost my notes anyways time to regroup and back in a moment don't go away With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
All right. Welcome back to the show. And well, this is a story and, and I like where this one is going. So Formula E has introduced their own post-race cool down room. And this is a, a Reddit thread that you found. And I really like those. I don't know why that they did away with them. I don't know if it was uh, to do with COVID. I don't know if it was due to the, the TV production, but I kind of liked it. I know at, at some times in the past, depending which race it was and what happened and who was to stepping on the top step of the podium and who came second and third. I know there was a bit of tension there, but I always really liked it. I thought it was a cool thing. I'd love to see Formula One bring it back. Daily, that was the best part. If you're a TV broadcaster and you want me to stick around to the podium celebration, which I never do, bring back the cool down room. The amount of drama and friction inside the cool down room was amazing because yep. you've got three guys that just spent 90 minutes battling toe to toe for a race win. And now they're all shoved in the same room. Some of my favorite moments from the last 10 years were the cool down room. My favorite was 2015 in Texas at Coda. Lewis, Nico battling back and forth. They touch, they go into the cool down room. They're both on the podium. Hamilton picks up the Pirelli hat that they're all supposed to wear on, onto the podium. He tosses it over to Nico. Nico whips it back and it bounces off Lewis. Like <laughs> I love the drama. I love the friction. Bring back the cool down room. COVID aside, yeah. it's worth it because like I said, one, it's super entertaining. I love the drama and two, it keeps me... It, sticking around because I'll be honest, like as soon as the fourth or fifth driver passes the finish line, the start stop line, I'm tuned out. I'm gone. If there's a cool down room, I'm sticking around for another 10 or 15 minutes. Broadcasters, that's great feedback. Take it, bring back the cool down room. Yeah, totally. I have nothing further to add to that. If anything, they should like, I don't know, make it super hot in there. Turn up the, the, the oh, heat yeah. so it's almost on burr. Yeah. You know, just, uh, I know that's kind of mean, but uh, <laughs> you know, try and make it as contentious Is as possible. Is it mean if it's but, hilarious? Because uh, it's pretty hilarious. Yeah, no, I, I love that one. I, that, I, when you brought that up, I, I, I that that image just flashed in my head <laughs> of Nico and Lewis and the whole thing. It seems so petty and childish, but at, oh, the, at the time it was when it, was it happened, watch, right? I was rolling on the floor, just cackling, just screaming oh, same, because same. it was, and that was even before 2016 when the relationship really hit the, uh, really hit the burner, but I was just squealing. We need more of that in formula one. They can't all be yeah. besties well, all the time. Well, I mean, that kind of goes back to last year. I mean, th there's got to be obviously some frostiness between Max and Lewis nowadays, right? Yes, I mean, put them with, in a with, cool down I room. I mean, there's history now, right? But I mean, just uh, nowadays, I mean, uh, Max and Charles like seem a little bit too too friendly. I mean, they they. I mean, it was great to see after after Saudi at the end of the race. I mean, they're kind of applauding each other, giving each other a thumbs up out of the side of the cockpit. I mean, it was a great battle at the end of that race. And, and, and the way that one turned out. But, you know, I, it, all it takes is a, a little bit of on track, you know, confrontation yeah. to change, you know, change that. I mean, we've seen that before. I mean, Lewis and Nico Rosberg were great friends growing up. And then that's, you know, obviously they're not sending each other Christmas cards or what people do anymore. Yeah. I mean, that, uh, that, 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 that relationship sadly went, uh, went south, but I mean, you get uh, two guys, especially in the same team, competing at, at a level like Formula One. There's obviously going to be a tension. And 
boy, does that still blow my mind going back to, well, that's even probably pre-2016. Do you remember, was it Nikki or Toto coming out and saying right. at that point that they, they wouldn't hesitate to void one or both of those drivers' contracts right. if it was in the best interest of the team? I mean, was was that even as early as 2015? I think it was. It, it might prob- have been after Spa. Was yeah, it after Spa I think you're absolutely year? right. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, yeah, nothing like the good old uh, cool down room to uh, to inflame tensions. Anyways, let's talk about another race. We already talked about Monaco. So this is kind of like Monaco, but in the Far East. And this is Singapore, which is coming back online this year after a three year absence, obviously been canceled a couple of times because of the pandemic. So apparently this thing to say that these things are selling like hotcakes is an understatement, but they're really just the people are going bananas to try and get their hands on tickets to get to the Singapore Grand Prix later this year. When you take this one away, Mr. H. We had this conversation with Tim Haraney a couple of weeks ago, and he was making the point that if you, and I don't think what he was trying to say is if you starve a market of Formula One, but if you don't go every single year, when you do go, there could be monumental and significantly more demand for tickets than there would be if you went every single year. And I think what we're seeing in the case of Singapore is we haven't been there in 2019. They were supposed to be on the calendar last year. It got canceled at the last moment. So we're going back this year for the first time since 19. The demand for tickets is exponential. They've been releasing them slowly. They've been drip releasing ticket packages and they've been selling out almost instantaneously. Now they haven't Mm. opened all of the tickets, all of the grandstands for sale yet. Like I said, they're kind of dripping them out to the market, but what they've discovered is there is massive, massive demand for tickets on the reseller networks. So resellers are having a heyday reselling tickets for the Singapore Grand Prix. It it probably makes sense because I think there's probably a lot of folks in Australia that like to fly up for that Grand Prix and we just saw, and we didn't talk about this, but Australia posted 440,000 people through the gates over the three day, which was a record for the Australian Grand Prix. It broke the number that Austin posted last year, which is significant. But the other consideration too is Singapore used to have a neighbor race in Malaysia until a few years ago. So obviously there's pent up demand throughout Malaysia for this race as well. Now, what is being rumored and Joe Sayward reported on this a couple of days ago, I, I don't, I think reporting is probably being a little bit generous, but speculated about is due to the high demand and due to the fact that the calendar still has an opening because of the Russian Grand Prix and due to the Mm. global logistic challenge or logistical challenges moving companies and shipping companies are having right now reliably moving freight around the world, that Formula One might opt to put back-to-back races into Singapore. So rather than going to Turkey or uh, Portimao or back to Bahrain or any of those other tracks that we've seen over the course of the last couple of years, they may simply do back-to-back races in Singapore. Demand for the tickets is there. You could probably sell out a couple of weekends. You relieve some of the pressure on the Grand Prix that's already on the calendar. And then you don't have to deal with the freight challenges of shipping the entire circus halfway across the world to accommodate the fact that the Russian Grand Prix is not going to be on the calendar. So possibly we're not going to be in Turkey this year. We may not be in Portimao. We probably won't be in Mugello, but what we're probably going to see is back-to-back races in in Singapore. And that's also good for the drivers. It's good for the mechanics. It's good for the teams because in the middle of a 23-race calendar, for them to be able to park themselves into a single city for a week and a half rather than having to transfer Mm -hmm. halfway around the world after four days is, is probably a good thing. So I think good news all around that if they can do two races in Singapore, they're both a sellout and it takes a little bit of strain off the teams and the drivers, maybe that's a good news story. 
I can't help but wonder why there isn't any talk about maybe going back to Malaysia, because even during the pandemic, I, I don't know if it was a sort of a planted news story to kind of like gauge interest, but they've been off the the calendar now for a couple of years, even post or sorry, pre-pandemic. But I think that there was some talk within the last year, 18 months that they'd be willing to step up and they wanted to have a Grand Prix again there. I mean... I mean, geographically, it is in the same region, but I haven't heard anything come, you know, coming back or sort of coming out recently about uh, perhaps having a, a race there. So who knows? I mean, it, it would work, though. I mean, we've seen over the past couple of years because of the pandemic, we've seen multiple races go back to back weekends at different tracks. In Austria at Silverstone, right? We've seen like the uh, the other thing where we've gone back to Sahir a couple of times, you know, at different times, you know, right? At the beginning of the season, back of the season, and then you know, with a different configuration, which they can do in Bahrain because they do have the inner and outer ring there. So, excuse me, there is possibilities to to do that, but Singapore they could probably pull off a double header there. What do you think? Yeah, I I would really, yeah. So I think Singapore is going to work, but now you've got me thinking about Malaysia and. For those of you that may be kind of new to Formula One, have kind of been watching only the last couple of years, we raced in Malaysia at a track called Sepang up until the end of 2017. It's a great track. It was a lot of fun, but it was a race that was organized principally by the local and, and state government. And ultimately, yep. I think they just exited themselves from the business because they were funding both a MotoGP race, which was exceptionally well attended and much cheaper to host. Mm. And they were also funding a Formula One race, which was well attended, but ex exponentially more expensive and MotoGP and sport bike culture in Malaysia is huge. So the government had made the decision that, look, we can only subsidize, we can only underwrite one of these two events. We're going to do MotoGP. I think they mm. would have been open to hosting a race. And I think what we saw the last couple of years is a lot of the races that were being thrown onto the calendar, Portimao, Turkey, et cetera, they weren't paying anything for these events because there were no fans in the stands. In this case, I think Formula One's like, yeah, you can have a race, but we want our 25 or 30 or $35 million. And I think think for that reason we'll probably see <laughs> singapore you know what's interesting too about like singapore and some of the stories that have been going out about like the the, the tickets for this year's race popping up on some of these reselling sites there is one story i read about um a woman from australia that was trying to buy tickets and she was thrown into like a three and a half hour like wait list online and then you know, only after three and a half hours to get an error message to say that you know either the site had crashed or the sale had closed and then you know eventually she goes back to uh, buy a pair of tickets for thirty five hundred dollars, you know, after the fact, you know, thirty five hundred. Wow. I, I think uh, U.S. I'm not sure exactly. I mean, I know the dollars are used uh, around the world, but I mean, thirty five hundred dollars uh, for for the tickets that were similar to ones that uh, she wanted. But I mean, that's the thing. That pair of tickets this lady might have bought now for you know three and a half grand. I mean, as you know, the the rest of the tickets sell out because, like you say, they've been releasing them in blocks, and there's going to be more tickets coming over the days and weeks ahead. Where you know, once those all those tickets are gone, and that uh, you know that demand is there, I mean, those prices for people that you know then selling them through reselling sites, I mean, those prices are just going to get exponential. I mean, it's crazy where it uh, it could uh, go. But I mean, it also shows not not only are people eager to see it back in Singapore, people are eager to watch Formula One again, but. Basically, after almost two years of being, you know, locked up in our houses, people are just, you know, itching to get out and, and do things again. And especially, I mean, Formula One did so well during the pandemic. I mean, that we were up and running again by July of 2020 and, and Drive to Survive really 
you know, captivated people's imaginations after, you know, between 20 and 21, you got like a whole new generation of people coming in the beginning of last year. You have this epic season, this epic fight between Lewis and Max for the entirety of the season. And now as things come back online, we go back more to normal again. People are like, I've been only watching Formula One on my screen. Formula One's coming to somewhere reasonably close to me or it's a destination I want to go to and people are willing to put the money out and go to it. It's amazing. It's uh, it's exciting. Although I just don't know if I'd be willing or able to part with 3,500 right, right. <laughs> set of uh, tickets. Then, then again, I'm not in the market to go to the Super Bowl either. So maybe I should just... Uh... Anyways, let, let's talk about happier things. Uh, okay, this is not really a happier thing, but I guess we have to... <laughs> this, this is definitely not because this uh, really depends on, uh, you know, th- this is something that we've been you know talking about literally now for years, and that is the Miami Grand Prix, which is, you know, set to get going just weeks from now. And boy, you know, <laughs> there, there is a last ditch attempt to, to block this race. So this is going to uh, court. So this is uh, being, um, you know, done by local residents, which to be fair, they've been very vocal about right from day one. You know, they've had a lot of concerns about the noise and all the disruptions around Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. They say that the noise is going to be intolerable. So they've um, basically launched a, a lawsuit. I don't know how you know, if this is a Hail Mary, how much of a chance that this has to succeed. But, you know, there, there's obviously got to be a little bit of uh, concern there. What do you think? It's interesting because Formula One has had a long and winding road to to landing in Miami. And if you remember four or five years ago, the expectation was that this race was going to happen downtown on the waterfront over a causeway. And then there was immediate, immediate opposition from all the residents that live in that area in the condo towers and from the businesses that would have been impacted by the disruption of shutting down the core for weeks to set up and tear down for a Formula One Grand Prix. And ultimately, Stephen Ross, who was the one that was going to lead that race, decided that, hey, I've got this NFL state up in northeast or northwest Miami, and it's got a huge parking lot. I'll just build a track here. And when that was announced, I, I started doing my typical creepy thing, which is going Street View to check out the or check out the area. And the first thing that I realized was there is a very significant bedroom community of single family detached homes less than yep. a mile from sections of this track. And I thought that was really interesting. And at one point, city council seemed to be generally aligned with the residents of this community called Miami Gardens. And we're certainly in opposition to this race happening for those reasons on humanitarian grounds, in essence. And in 2020, there was an election and a new city council came in and the new city council voted for the track. And they've been very clear that, look, no, no, no lawsuit is going to derail our efforts to bring Formula One to this track. And if that if local residents are concerned, they need to take their concerns up in the next election. But it looks like this is going to happen. Now, the actual final permit hasn't been issued, but there's every expectation that it will. But Due to the fact that that permit hasn't been issued, it actually adds some timing sensitivity and complications to the lawsuit that's being issued. But I would expect to see this race going forward 
But I am still very shocked that in a modern developed country, a racetrack could pop up so close to local residents. And again, you know, these folks, they made the choice to live in that neighborhood and they live in that neighborhood knowing that there's a football stadium nearby and that eight nights a week or eight nights a year, there's going to be an NFL game and there's going to be some congestion and noise. But none of these folks knew they were buying a home next to a Formula One racetrack. And I think it's a little bit interesting that there is so little opposition to this happening. And I get it. Miami is a destination city. It's a service sector city. It's a tourism city. And events like this are what drive and fuel the economy. But it is interesting that Mm -hmm. they were able to build a Formula One track so close to a residential neighborhood and a predominantly black residential neighborhood. Now, when when the race was approved, when the city approved the race originally, uh, the race organizers indicated that they would make a $5 million community benefits package available. And I'm not necessarily sure how that's being spent. Maybe it's education in store in schools about STEM and engineering and Formula One, etc. But it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how this plays out in the days ahead. I would expect that the race is still going to happen, um, but it'll be interesting to see if this opposition stays strong in the years ahead, or if in the future, a city council that's maybe opposed to this um, comes in with a heavier hand. But Stephen Ross, the Miami Dolphins, they've invested tens of millions of dollars in building their racetrack, and we're now just weeks away from the Miami Grand Prix. Oh, could you imagine the the, the countersuit that would be filed by the, right. the race organizers if this would block, you know, was blocked? I mean, they would go after the city and everything like that. Absolutely. You know, seven ways from Sunday, but it, it, it's interesting. Lawyers for the Hard Rock Stadium and City of Miami Garden said that, the, uh, that a judge should not take uh, any steps that could prevent Miami from moving forward with the race before the city decides whether or not to issue a, a special events permit. And they said it should be up to the city, not the courts, to decide whether the events, uh, you know, the Formula One complies with the the, the, the city's like bylaw for the, or their their noise ordinance, because what they're saying is that the the amount of noise that uh, Formula One cars or the race would generate is about ninety seven decibels, which is the equivalent of uh, standing right next to a, a chainsaw, which is you know pretty loud, and though know, this is going to go on for several days, so you can understand where people's concerns are and why they'd be uh, be up, uh, upset about that. Um, but so uh, they were saying that um, you know one of the the attorneys was saying that they could only see that the the residents might have a case if the the fact that the race goes ahead the the noise exceeds the maximums that are uh, you know determined or set out by the city's noise ordinance and the city fails to enforce it so you know like everything else when it comes down to like the legal fine fine points of view and i i don't want to downplay like anybody's concerns like any of the residents because uh, we don't live there you know so we can only kind of make observations from afar if they're concerned about it and they got a point about it i mean they should by all means be heard but absolutely seem, absolutely you know it just seems at this point in the game the fact that you know so many people have invested so much money to make this thing happen and who knows i mean if this thing was canceled i mean not only would you see maybe a counter lawsuit filed but what about like i say a class action law- lawsuit for on the behalf of people that book tickets hotel rooms travel i mean it just has the potential to get really 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 nasty so i hope for the benefit for everybody involved on all sides they can sort this thing out anyways mark why don't we take one final break here we'll come back and then we're going to jump into the mailbag which is something we haven't done in a little while so let's take a a little break here we'll come back and we're just going to chill out and well i say chill out i don't know what the questions are yet so (laughs) i should hold my breath anyways time for a quick break back in a moment
All right, welcome back to the show and going into the final segment now. Oh, no, no, don't worry, we're not going just yet, but it's all good. Anyways, Mark, uh, you got a lot of questions uh, oh boy. via Twitter today. Yeah, it just uh, I saw it when you tagged me in the tweet this morning, and this thing really could, kind of took, a, took a, on a life of its own, so let's get into it. So first question, and this was one that... It's a little personal to both of us. It's from our good friend at I've Been Yukied. I won't use anyone's real names because I don't want to dox anyone, <laughs> but at I've Been Yukied, would one of you be willing to change your first name to avoid confusion? This is a real issue for me. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that that's an interesting <laughs> one. Like, um, I, I've kind of thought about that. Like, what could we get? Like, a, a little bit more Formula One, maybe like Max Power or something like I know oh, that yeah. Homer Simpson used that one before. You know, may, maybe something a little more of a power name, like uh, Trent Steele. Do you have Max a middle power, name? You know. I do. What is it? I don't my, even my know. Middle, my, 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 my middle name is John, which is my dad's name. So, oh. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we could go by middle names. So it would be the John and William don't show. Don't tell me that. You, no, no, no. As, as, as you were winding up to tell me, I'm like, his middle name is going to be William. I just know it. No, mine's William. So <laughs> it would be John and William. Yeah. But uh, I don't particularly, I'm not particularly in love with my name. In fact, one of the really awkward things for me is, both of my bosses until recently at, at work were Mark as well. So there was three of us, which just oh, created wow. immense confusion. So I would typically, people would just call me Hammer or Hammy or something like that. But yeah, I, I don't think I, I can legally change my first name, but uh, we'll try to do our best to uh, to create some separation on the program. We could go by like last names, you know, as uh, as Michelle said in the live uh, chat. Works. I go by daily sometimes. We could go, go by last names. Um, you know, you could be Ham Dog. I'm no, cool with Ham Dog. No good. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take a Ham Dog. I'll take a Hammy. I'll take a Hammer. Uh, so yeah, next question go. for you. This is from okay. Immy. I'm going to leave this one with you. Since you okay. did say fun questions semicolon underwear and body yep. piercings how are they going to find them and this goes back to a story a few weeks ago about <laughs> the fact that the fi is going to start cracking down on body jewelry how are they going to find them metal detector or body search for jewelry but underwear because again they have to be wearing fia sanctioned fireproof underwear yep commander or whitey tighties check brigade so the question to you is who's going to take on the responsibility and how are they going to make sure that there's no underwear that are not a against FIA regulations or body piercings? Well, I mean, obviously, like nose rings, earrings, eyebrow rings, I, I guess even in the, uh, you know, the, the chest you area. Can those ones might be kind of a, you can say it, nipple rings. You can say it. Those might be kind of obvious and kind of like the tights, you know, right. like uh, layers that they wear underneath those. But I mean, in the nether regions... Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if well, you know, some people might want to, but I hope that you know, maybe just go over like the little wand like you get at the airport yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're going. That's a smart idea. Yeah, that's a smart idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, here yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. here's one that and this is perfect timing because we just went over this, but this is from uh, your good friend Gil at Guitar Gil. Um, also, what's up with the Miami GP not having a permit yet from the city of Miami? Uh oh, and now there's a lawsuit being filed to stop the event. So I think yep. that's okay because we just talked about that one. So hopefully that answered your yeah, question. I, I share the concern though, you know, totally what, uh, you know, just as we were talking about before the break there and, and what Gil's uh, echoes in his uh, tweet as well. I mean, I'm concerned about it. I didn't think we'd be literally less than a month out from, from 
Miami and we're still have this uh, specter of a, of a lawsuit and, you know, no permits issued. It's, it, it's worrying. Let, let's hope that you know, this gets sorted out. Yeah. And again, I just, I hope it's not at the expense of the local residents and I just hope they don't get steamrolled because I'm sure none of them bought or moved into that neighborhood expecting there to be a Formula One Grand Prix. And I think part of the city permit is that the only event that can be held on the track each year is the F1 Grand Prix. Uh, But it is... It, there is precedent for this, right? Like if you look at Laguna Seca in Northern California, that is a tremendous track and it's gone not into entirely disrepair because they still host an indie race, but that is a track that should be hosting much more prestigious events. But as people mm-hmm. have encroached closer and closer onto the track, the local state, the local governments, this county governments have imposed stricter and stricter regulations on how and when that track can operate. It used to host MotoGP, and now it's restricted on the number of days they can have competitive racing and the number of times they can host a competitive race each year. And that's different because Laguna Seca originally was built in the middle of nowhere, a good half hour from yep. any homes. But as the population has yep. encroached on the track, they've imposed restrictions. This one's different because these are pre-existing neighborhoods and there's a track dumps into their backyard. Yeah, in one case, motorsport is encroaching on the residents and the, the the homeowners. On the other case, it's the other way around. But going exactly. back to Laguna the corkscrew, is that not one of the coolest segments of track anywhere in the world? It's amazing. Terrifying in person, my friend. Not, not even to drive it, but just to walk it. It is absolutely terrifying. And it's one of those moments. And I don't think F1 drivers get enough credit because, you know, when you and I are out on the road and we're driving about, we see a corner and we turn into it. F1 drivers don't turn into a corner after they've seen it. They have to turn into the corner in advance of seeing it. So for them, every corner is a blind corner, but the corkscrew, it's not only a blind sharp corner, but there's a huge drop. So as you're approaching Mm -hmm. the corner, you're looking into the horizon and then the track drops away from you and you have to turn in. Absolutely terrifying. If you get a chance to go back and look at the indie highlights from last year, Romain, Roman Grosjean had some awesome moments in that corner, just banging and grinding as you can only do with an IndyCar. But yeah, one of the greatest corners in motorsports. Yeah, totally. Uh, going back to the live chat, uh, Michelle says, uh, going back to the whole uh, body piercing thing and the underwear, she said, and I don't know where she gets her intel from, but uh, she said Christian, pardon me, and I assume she means Christian Horner, and I said that he thinks both his drivers, so Max and Checo, go commando. So is that a little bit TMI? You know, <laughs> maybe I'm going I'm to file you know, Max and Checo going commandos a, a little bit uh, TMI. Okay, let's go on to the next one. So next question for you is from at Survivor Ray zero eight. When will talks cool. start happening for the driver lineup for 2023? Which potential moves are you most excited about? Well, what do we have, like 10 drivers that are out of contract at the the end of this year? I think that the big teams are pretty much uh, all set, but it, it's just going to be interesting uh, to see who goes where. We, we know Lando's going to be at McLaren for a couple of years. Ricardo's there for at least another year, we think. Yeah, we know Charles both of the Ferrari drivers are lined up. Fire for right. Yeah, and the same at, uh, I believe this is the same case for uh, Mercedes. Max yeah. is on a long-term deal at Red Bull. Checo was on a one-year deal. But Checo's had a pretty, despite the DNF in Bahrain, which was nothing to do to him, that was completely a, an equipment failure. I think he's had a very, very st- a solid start to the to the season. He's he's doing now what I think everybody who was cheering for Red Bull wanted to see him straight out of the gate this time last year. 
So I think that if he keeps going the way that he's going, it just seems almost like a little bit of a foregone conclusion that he would get another um, another contract at uh, at Red Bull. I could almost see him becoming Valtteri Bottas V. 2.0 because he's kind of in that funny age now. I mean, he's been in Formula One for over a decade. He's on the wrong side of 30, but he's doing really, really useful things. But, you know, I wouldn't say that the end is right around the corner, but, you know, he might find himself in a Valtteri Bottas kind of situation that, you know, he has a bit of a shelf life there at Red Bull and, you know, very much like Valtteri had at Mercedes. And then, you know, it just sort of makes sense for the team, maybe not so much for Sergio, that just to give him the one-year deal with an option or something like that and just kind of renew it each and every year. The one driver I'm interested to see who may uh, end up or where he's going to go or stay, I don't know really too much or how many choices he has, is Pierre Gasly. And I think we've kind of tossed this one around at times uh, sort of casually over the patent, you know, somewhat recently, but... Uh, I was going to say Perez, pardon me, uh, Pierre Gasly. I think he's maturing nicely. I think that the opportunity for him to go to Red Bull a couple of a uh, couple of years ago was the right opportunity just at the wrong time in his career. And unfortunately for him, it didn't work out because he gets booted out of there midway through the season in favor of Alex Albon, who comes in, has a great second half of the season. Everybody's saying... You put a, should have put Alex Albon into that car right from the beginning. Pierre just wasn't ready for it. And then Alex comes back for a full year with Red Bull and has a total stinker of a season. <laughs> and, and then he's gone. And then they they signed Checo. I, I know it's been, uh, it's been a bit of a revolving door there. But I, I think out of all of them, I think that, uh, that, that Ser- or, sorry, not, yeah, Sergio's one. Definitely if they're going to bring him back. And then Pierre, another one. And then just uh, perhaps even a little bit further down the grid, we know that uh, K Mag's on a couple year deal, but you know MSC, what's going to happen with Mick Schumacher? I mean, first year in Formula One last year, not a great car, wasn't a great situation. Now he's got an experienced Formula One driver as a teammate. He's got a benchmark. He's got somebody to model himself after. You know, what's his form- uh, future going to look like in Formula One? So there, there's lots of questions, you know. And and I wouldn't be surprised to see some of these faces go back to the conversation we had right off the top of the show about Nick, uh, Nicholas Latifi. He could be very well one of those guys that disappears from Formula One by the end of the season. The big one, and I've only got one driver to add to your list, the big one for me is Sebastian Vettel. I I do yes, not great, see, great I don't point. see him coming back with Aston Martin. I don't see why he would necessarily want to. They're clearly in a rebuilding stage and they're not going to have a competitive car this year and unlikely will they have a competitive car next year. And if he doesn't come back to Aston Martin, where does he go? I, I think there's just so many question marks. He's on the wrong side of 30. He's been in the sport since 2007, yep. 2000, 2008, maybe. Oh, he's, he's, he won he's a, had a long career in Formula One. Yep. I just, I don't know what team would necessarily want to invest in him and, and for what purpose would they invest in him? And I think he's a lovely guy. And of course, back when he was winning titles, he was the arch enemy of everyone. He was the evil, he was the evil, evil, <laughs> evil character of Formula One. And, and obviously his image is softened and he's kind of been through a, a period of rejuvenation the last couple of years ever since he departed departed Ferrari and there's definitely been a bit of a intended social but media charm campaign there yeah. L- let's be fair I think he had some good moments at uh, for, for at, at Ferrari I mean maybe 2018 2019 that kind of went into a bit of decline right but I, I mean 2017 2018 at least the first half of the season I mean he was competitive they were winning races I mean, he had a legit shot uh, at least until 
I would say the, the, the first half of the season in 2018, he was pretty competitive. And then it started going sideways by the time after the summer break, by the time we got to Monza and then Singapore. And then, you know, he kind of, he started putting his foot wrong you know, far too often. Self-sabotage, for a man. It, yeah, self, yeah, perfect word, perfect word. Self-sabotage is the perfect word way to uh, describe it and uh, yeah but he had his moments and I could honestly see him just deciding to pack it in and walk it away or walk away from Formula One at the end of the year I mean at this point what 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 more does he have to prove I think he would have loved to win that championship for Ferrari we all know that he was a, a big fan of Michael Schumacher Michael was a mentor to him and he really wanted to achieve some measure of success at the Scuderia like like Michael had I mean what what Michael Schumacher achieved at Ferrari back in the day is iconic it'll be we'll, we'll talk about Lewis Hamilton in in the same way with what Lewis did is, is doing at Mercedes and has done during his time uh, in, in his career with the Mercedes but Seb I think wanted to to model that in in small part as much as he could at least win one title with Ferrari but you know sadly he just couldn't pull it off in the live chat uh, I'm just looking for it now evolution consulting said and I agree with him that Seb looks unmotivated I want to see an angry, frantic Seb. To me, he seems as an F1 driver this year, last year, he seems too resigned to the situation. I want to see him angry. I want to see him frantic. I want to see him yelling on the oh. radio. Okay, can, can I stop you right there? I Please. loaded this into the audio, into the soundboard, and I don't know why, but check this out. Okay, why is it not playing? You see, I get these things lined up and then the tech fails on us, but... You're uh, the one that's supposed to be good at oh. the tech, my friend. I'm just here I, for hey, the I, good looks. <laughs> hey, I, I loaded it. I pressed play. Nothing happened. Anyways, it was uh, it was a radio thing from a couple of years ago. That's really unfortunate that it didn't play oh, properly. I'm sorry, load, that must it, kill it was, you. Yeah, that's really frustrating. I think it was from Mexico a couple of years ago when I think he was mixing up maybe with a Max Verstappen, and uh, it was a it was, it was that time when he was like bleep this and bleep Charlie, and Charlie can go bleep himself. Remember that? Oh, I mean, that would have you know, been so good. You got to try it again. Yeah, I'll try it one more. Try time. Try one more time because our listeners deserve they deserve that in their Friday morning podcast regime. No, it's not, it's not coming through that way. Let's try one more time because it, it is such a good one. We tried. We tried our uh, best. We, My we friend, tried. I'm sorry, guys. Before we jump to the next question, did you want to take a break? Sure. Or no, I, no, we're all good. We, we paid all the bills. We, we, we paid. Don't, oh, this is our time now. This is this is kicking back and just chillaxing and, and having, uh, you know, just just uh, having some enjoyable conversation and answering questions as you from say that, several thousand of our closest friends. As you say that, the repo man in his tow truck has stopped looking longingly at the Bentley in your driveway and is now driving away <laughs> with, without anything hooked to his car. Okay, next question Damn for it. you. Do, 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 do. Ah, so a couple of people actually asked this question, but again, once again, at I've been you, Keith, based on your last podcast and Boy, did we get slandered for our podcast with Tim because of this topic. Based on your last podcast, why do you hate Carlos Sainz so much? Why do you hate him, Mark? Why? Because he's just so good. No, you know, it, it's funny because, I mean, 
we're not trying to throw shade or hate Carlos. And I mean, and I think Carlos is is a great driver. Like I, I've watched him over the last uh, several years to just to see where he could go because I really felt at one point there that he might have been really on the cusp of his Formula One career, sort of like flaming out, and there might not be a spot for him in the sport. But then you know, ultimately it worked out. He ended up at Ferrari. I mean, he ended up in McLaren, and then he he, he leveled up from there and went to race for Ferrari, which is the biggest team in all of motorsport. I mean, no disrespect to anyone else, including Mercedes, but. I mean, that is like the team. I think every driver wants to race for a Ferrari if they have, uh, you know, have the opportunity at some point in their career, right? And none but of the us. The thing is, and none of us ever will, right? But yeah. the thing is, and I, I know that it's early days yet. And I mean, Carlos is—he's not the new guy on the block. And and last year he did really good. I mean, for me, I think that Carlos was one of those guys that kind of flew under the radar last year. I don't think that he got enough credit or got as much love as he really deserved. I mean, Charles, I think, had a bit of a a nothing season. I don't want to suggest by any you know any any measure that uh, Charles Leclerc phoned it in in 2021. The car was sort of, kind of, really. It was, it was kind of competitive, but not really. They ended up third in the constructors because McLaren really dropped the ball in the last part of the season. They got some timely upgrades, which which really worked well on the car by the time I think they got to, was it Spa and then to Russia? That really did well. But the thing is, I know that Carlos has had a, had a bit of, well, he had a horrible weekend in Australia. And he's saying all the right things. Don't get me wrong, because he's saying he wants to be the guy. He thinks he can take it to Charles Leclerc. But even though, and, and it seems kind of funny to say well you know he's just not getting the job done because he's had two podiums in three races uh, this season but the thing is you know to to make this more for me I don't want to say it's a, a serious discussion because it is a serious discussion, but to maybe make that argument that 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 uh, Carlos should be considered on the same level as Charles is for me, he has to close that delta with his teammate. And I honestly hope that when we get to Imola, because it's okay, it's not Monza, but it's still in Italy. It's it's San Marino. It's all geographically in the right place. And if he's not going to be fired up from that, especially at that horrible, horrible weekend, then I don't know what will motivate him because. He, he's clearly not happy with the you know the way that things have gone thus far despite the results and I think that he's really really going to be fired up so I'm really going to be watching Charles Leclerc or sorry uh, Carlos Sainz at Imola next weekend because I really think this could be a statement weekend a statement race for him and I'm and I hope he pulls it off I really do I feel bad that it seems like or we were perceived to be coming across as really negative in fact maybe we just were coming across as negative but I think for me yeah. I have such high expectations for this team and anytime your teammate goes in and dominates the weekend and takes pole and cruises to an incredibly easy victory despite multiple safety cars I'm going to be very safe very 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 critical of you and the fact that you put your car in the gravel and you beached it that's on you mister I get there were some circumstances around qualifying but the bad start going into the gravel ending your race in the first or second lap that's on you and you need to do better and I think I'm frustrated because I have such incredibly high expectations for him because I know what he's capable yep. and we all know what that car is capable of. So two more questions and then we can wrap it up, you think? Uh, sure, why not? We can do a couple more. Okay, so here's it's a one. Long weekend, my friend, I got time. I know you do. So this one actually, <laughs> this is from at Tim's Fozy, and I think we just kind of answered this question a couple of minutes ago with this risk okay. or with respect to Seb. If things continue this way for AMR, is Seb more likely to retire or move elsewhere? So I think we answered that. 
I really struggle yep. to understand what team would want to invest in Seb at this point. He's with a team that's clearly underperforming him, underperforming. He's being paid a ton of money. I don't know how emotionally invested he is in that package, in that car, in that team. I don't think he's going to be back next year. And I would be shocked if there was another team willing to pay big dollars to lure him over. What about you? Yeah, totally. I mean, l- let's uh, draw a parallel here between Sebastian Vettel and what at uh, at Aston Martin or Team X. Should he decide he wants to move somewhere else, and compare him to what Valtteri Bottas is doing at Alfa Romeo? I think that what what Valtteri has done so far this year, I think, has been impressive. I know he had a DNF um, in in Saudi. He was just one of those cars that just kind of like petered out at one moment there. And but I, I mean, he's shown something. He's shown that uh, you know he's he's a very very good driver. He's at a, he's driving for a team that's in a bit. I don't even even really know what to call Alfa Romeo. I mean, they're not like a super uber competitive team, so it's not like they're in a rebuilding phase. But they've they've certainly shown that this car has a little bit of uh, you know pace. I mean, Guan Yu is showing that he's looking a little bit pacey. And he's kind of performing in in the way that I would expect from a w- rookie Formula One driver, but he's got to think that Guan Yu is probably loving the fact that he's you know he's sitting in the same garage next to Valtteri Bottas, which I think has done who, who's done a pretty good job uh, this season. And I just at at this point, I just can't see Sebastian Vettel doing a job like that. At, at another team, say at Williams, for example. I mean, maybe he would be really excited to, but I think, you know, if he had the opportunity to have like one kind of, you know, kick at the can and kind of go out of the go out of the sports in a year or two in a blaze of glory. And maybe even if he doesn't win a championship, but he's there fighting for race wins, he's on the podium and kind of doing what he did at Ferrari. Yeah, I could see him maybe sticking around for that. But I don't see him doing another Aston Martin type move, and I don't see him doing a move that uh, Valtteri Bottas did to to Alpha. I don't know. What do you think, Mark? I think you did a great job of summing that up, and I don't really think I have anything else to add. But I do have another question, yes. and I like this okay. one because it's a more technical question, and it's from Ahmed Alsan. Hi, Mark and Mark. Why is there such a huge variance in tire degradation between drivers on the same compound at the same track? So I, I, I'll maybe take. Ooh, a, can I answer this one, please? Because reasons. Okay. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't. I don't know that that's I, the I'm gonna quality. Turn it over to you. Yeah, I don't know if that's the quality <laughs> response he was expecting. I, I think it's no, ultimately no. <laughs> very, very, very challenging to to put into words why one driver may experience a certain type of degradation and another driver may experience something entirely different. Ultimately, there's some principal factors that absolutely do um, impact the degradation and the longevity of a tire. We're talking about things like the aggregate on the track, but that would typically affect all of the drivers equally. The driving or the racing line that drivers take could introduce some variability. So if you're taking a common racing line and maybe the aggregate's a little bit smoother, maybe you get slightly less degradation, or if you're taking a less conventional racing line and the aggregate's a little bit rougher, that could ultimately introduce some additional degradation to your tires. But then also from a driver, 
driver perspective, it's all about how the car is set up. Is it a high force or high downforce setup, a low downforce setup? It could be that your downforce setup isn't necessarily balanced, which is impacting the rear more than the front because you're getting incremental downforce at the back that's not being offset with downforce at the front. That's introducing additional weight and wear on those rear tires. And it could also be something as simple as how the driver performs from a braking perspective. Where are they choosing their braking points? How hard are they letting the brakes get? And it could also be the braking setup itself. So I think the challenge is there's countless different reasons why one driver or one team might be experiencing a different level or different rapidity of tire uh, degradation. I think we would probably want to get into a specific example of a driver and then want to probably tap them to try to understand what they're doing or what they're seeing. But absolutely, we've seen it this year where certain drivers are seeing significantly more durability from the same compound of tire at the same track. And again, like I said, Mm -hmm. it could be the way the car is set up from a suspension perspective. It could be the camber. You know, how did they set up the camber, negative, inverted, et cetera. Could be how the wing was set up. There's countless different factors. The one thing I would say that a lot of these teams are still trying to find that that perfect balance of, of arrow and downforce. And I think some of the degradation that we're seeing now will probably be gone within a couple of Grand Prix as the teams get more familiar with the setup of these cars. Well, another uh, good uh, thing that's uh, th- this one's made uh, or meant a little bit uh, tongue planted firmly in cheek from Evolution Consulting in the live chat who says, don't forget the inverse proportionate ratio of tire life to driver anger, <laughs> which I think is a very, very good point. You know, the, if you get a little bit angry and impatient, you're going to burn a little bit more oh, rubber man. on track. But, you know, it, it is interesting because there is no easy answer to it because as you so nicely put it, Mark, there are so many different factors that go into it just uh, from from driver style to you know the the the, the makeup and the act like the, the the physical qualities of the track to the way that the cars are set up it it really is um it, it it's such a technical and it's a cool discussion to have you know other otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it because occasionally our minds get blown by the, the way that certain drivers are able to extend the tire life beyond what the operating know, the window is lifespan. yeah yeah, yeah. You know, not not by a lap or two, by many, many, many laps, and the tires are still in that sweet spot. They're still at like a perfect temperature. They're not degrading, and they're they're still perform performing at a at in a range that you know even impresses the driver. And I think that's what's really really cool. And and that kind of goes back a little bit to the discussion that we were having earlier about you know like the the the, the tire warmers and things like that, right? It's just yeah. like when it, it's cool to talk about those things because that's somebody you know and. And not just, I don't want to give like all the love to the guy in the car because there's all those people back in the pits, you know, all the mechanics and the engineers that they worked as a team to get the feedback from the driver in the car and then the mechanics and, you know, taking all this feedback and all this data that they're getting both from the driver and from the telemetry and, and, and setting the car up accordingly. And then they can do amazing things from that. And I think that's one, just, just one element, although a very nerdy and a very niche kind of rabbit hole of formula one, but I think it's really cool. Two more questions. This one, we don't even need to touch because we actually did it earlier, but from at Tim Ludwig photo, let's talk about the turtle hashtag safety car. Tim, we've already yep. been there. I hope we covered that. And then I think the last one tonight is going to be from at JMON26. Joe, and this is in reference clearly to Alex Albon and his 57 lap marathon last weekend. Uh, why penalize a driver that can go the whole race without pitting? Should that rule change? And the rule that Joe is referring to is that every driver has to 
drive on two separate compounds in the course of a race. So they can start on a medium, finish on a hard, start on a soft, finish on a hard, but they have to race on two different compounds during the course of a Grand Prix. His question is, is it fair? Is it not fair? Ultimately, the rule was instituted to inject some artificial competition strategy and drama into the race. We've talked about this before. The compounds that these drivers are using are artificial, artificially cliffed, meaning that they're engineered in such a way that the performance will drop off a cliff after a certain number of laps because they want to inject Pirelli, Liberty, the FIA. They want to inject some competitive spirit into the sport. And if they said to Pirelli, hey, can you engineer us a medium compound tire that'll last 58 laps they could probably do that but what they're doing Mm -hmm. is designing tires that are specifically designed to drop off a cliff after a certain number of laps and injecting that two compound rule into the sport is all about forcing teams to have a pit stop because pit stops are entertaining there's strategy and there's drama and i promise you if they did away with that stop um a lot of drivers probably would just rock a single compound the entire race provided pirelli could engineer it and then the sport's suddenly a lot less exciting your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. You know, I I, I think it's kind of cool when they can do that, when they can go an entire race. But even though it's a little bit of artificial kind of like racing, it it does make them think a little bit. So I I don't I I don't have an issue with the way that the rules are set up. I guess we've kind of moved away from the the, the terminology prime and option tires. I, we oh, don't yeah. really use oh, that. I anymore. like the I like the rule. And if I came across as implying or inferring that I don't, yep. I like the rule and I love seeing a pit stop. I don't want to see a driver rock a hard tire for 58 laps and just be like hit, clinging on for dear life at the end. Although that could be interesting as well. I like the pit stop. Yeah, you know, if they have to have um, pit stops in Formula One, I would rather see it for tires rather than fuel because, you know, number one, it kind of goes against like the whole sustainability thing. And, you know, they've got these great uh, engines that, you know, they're they're difficult. You know, you could refuel it, I think, easily in a pit stop uh, anyways. But there's also the inherent safety issue. I mean, think about, was it Johnny Herbert? Think about Yas Verstappen back in the in, in the 90s that had fuel drip, you know, after a pit stop and then ignite on an extremely warm uh, exhaust manifold or brake, uh, brake uh, disc or something like that. So th- there's a safety issue. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, if we're going to have pit stops, I'm totally down with the, 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 the tires. And plus, I think it's kind of cool to have multiple tire compounds in a race because each tire compound works or doesn't work with each tire car or driver. So there, there, there's that extra level of thinking that goes into it that we've got uh, a race that's going to last for, say, 60 laps. We think we can go this far on the softs and then we can go this far on the mediums or the hards and the mediums or whatever it is. So I think it's kind of cool. And, you know, and watching the races at home, it's kind of fun to kind of think along and watch in real time and kind of you know watch their lap times, too and just watch them out on the track against the the, the other cars they're racing against and see, yeah, well, his tires are, are dropping. I mean, look at Fernando last weekend. He uh, His tires really went off in the end. You know, he was looking really racy at one point. He pushed his tires too much. And then at that point, he was just dropping backwards uh, through the through, uh, through the field. So I think it's kind of, uh, kind of cool. I like it. Let's like turn it off the lights. So, Let's turn off the turn lights, off my the friend. Lights. I think this was a great right. show.
I think so too. Let, let's turn off the lights. Let's go hide some Easter eggs and uh, enjoy the long weekend. So everyone you know, who's in the live chat watching uh, on YouTube tonight, thank you guys so much for, for coming out. Uh, glad to see Michelle in because I know she's been looking forward to joining us for some time, but we usually do it much later than this. Anyways, guys, if you want to get in touch, easiest way is the way that we just uh, did. And that was on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod. You can also send us an email at scooteryf1pod at gmail.com. And that's it. On behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton, have a great weekend. And look out for Mark's interview with Tyler Santarusa dropping in your feed for the commute back to work on Monday. That's it. Happy Easter. Have a great weekend, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye for now.